Why is God so angry? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? How could God allow so Isn't much science to disprove the Bible? Good. How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? Marion Jones was one of the greatest athletes uh, of the last century. Um, Marion Jones went to University of North Carolina uh, and actually in basketball won a national championship, an NCAA championship uh, as a basketball player at, at the University of North Carolina. Uh, she then shifted from basketball into track and she began running uh, U.S. track. And in the 2000 Olympics, Marion Jones won three gold medals and two bronze medals. Uh, an amazing feat. And from there, she later went on in life as well to play for the WNBA. And so she's excelling at, at these extremely high levels uh, for, for her athletic career. But um, in the mid-2000s, these rumors began to swirl about performance-enhancing uh, drugs. And, and uh, she was caught uh, in 2006 lying under oath about her use of, uh, of, of steroids. Uh, really, uh, performance-enhancing substances. Uh, and, and there was other stuff that went on in her life. She was stripped of her gold medals, and she spent actually six months in prison. And it's this tragic story of someone who was, who was so gifted and had so much influence and was such an inspiration, but in her, in, in, in sort of in her, this desire, in this, this headlong pursuit, uh, she, she kind of stepped outside of the boundaries. Um, these set-aside boundaries, these rigid, firm boundaries, um, and ended up really f falling from grace. She was a, a worldwide inspiration for girls, but she lost her focus, and in her hubris, um, she fell. Um, today, we're going to talk uh, about David, uh, towards the end of his life, and, and, and David's fall. David was a man after God's own heart, but um, this story is, is, is tough to rationalize that and, and, and really reconcile how David can be called a man after God's own heart and do this. And so uh, we're going to pick up the text. It's, it's a well-known text here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So... David sends a proxy. It's time to go out and resume battle. The, the, the floods have receded, um, but David doesn't go. David decides he's going to stay home. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house when he saw the, from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. This is a monumental moment, not just in David's life, but in the history of Israel. He sees there's a woman on the other roof, his neighbor's roof. And he has the, this moment where he has a choice. He can avert his gaze, he can bounce off of that uh, and simply uh, choose to do the right thing. Instead, and David sent verse three and inquired about the woman. Uh, so then he presses in a little bit farther and he actually sends someone to inquire about her. Hey, who's that? who's that lady over there? And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So again, another opportunity where David hears, Okay, this woman is married to my neighbor Uriah the Hittite. Another opportunity for him to go, All right, I need to back down. Instead, 
he presses in. And again, this is a monumental moment in the history of Israel where actually it's a bit of a hinge point. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. David just got himself caught. What's he going to do? Now he has an opportunity. He can repent, he can make this right, and he can suffer the personal consequences. Or, we're going to see. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. David thinks maybe he can cover his tracks by, by calling Uriah back from the front and sending Uriah home. And then hopefully uh, the pregnancy will seem like perhaps a natural thing that would happen. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all uh, the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go to your, down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. That's tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. We see Uriah the Hittite's actually a foreigner. He's a, he's a Hittite. And he shows himself to be more upright than David here in this moment. Um, then David tries again and, and, and he, he tries to get Uriah uh, intoxicated uh, and sends him home again. But Uriah still won't fall for it. He still won't go into his house. He's still committed. No, when, when my friends, when my comrades are out and they're fighting, sleeping in a field at war, I will not go to my house. Uh, he remains upright. And so then David is desperate. So then he sends Uriah back uh, to Joab and says to Joab, put him at the front of the line. And when the battle gets fierce, pull back, pull back from Uriah. And sure enough, that thing happens where they go into battle. They push farther than they should. Joab pulls the forces back except for Uriah. And Uriah and others are killed. Um, David commits murder. He murders Uriah and then takes Bathsheba as his wife. Uh, a little bit later here in chapter 12, the, the Lord sent Nathan, that's a prophet, and he came to him and said, there were two men. And so, so Nathan shows up to the king and he tells him a story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of the morsels and drink from his cup and line his arms. And it was like a daughter to him, this poor man and his, his little lamb. Now there was a traveler to uh, the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So the story is that the rich man doesn't want to, you know, use one of his many flock. Instead, he steals the lamb from the poor man, that, that precious lamb, slaughters it and offers it as the feast. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. David is caught. And it begins this process in many ways of the unraveling of David's life. 
and you look at David who started so strong and he was so upright that he wouldn't even kill Saul who was trying uh, to, to, to kill David and send David in exile and on the run for years upon years. And even though David had many chances, he refused to, to kill the king because he was so upright. He had so much faith and he trusted God. And here we see at the end of his life that David has a major stumble. And I think it comes down to the, the, the beginning in verse 1 where it says that the army went to war and, and David stayed home. I think David lost sight of the mission that he was supposed to be about. Uh, it's like riding a bicycle. Um, when you're on a bike and you're not moving, it's very difficult to stay upright. In order to stay upright on a bicycle, unless you have terrific balance, you need to be moving forward. You need to be going somewhere with momentum in order to stay upright. And I think in our lives as well, it's really hard to stay upright, to stay within the boundaries if we don't have a mission or a purpose that we're going towards. If it's just me on my roof looking for whatever pleasures I can find in the moment, it's just me in the roof, then it's far more difficult to stay upright. And, um, and it's far more difficult to stay upright as well when you veer off the trail, when you, when you head out of the boundaries. And just like Marion Jones went out of the boundaries where she was supposed to, and, and so many countless others like Lance Armstrong and um, Ben Johnson, they all went out of the boundaries. And as a result, they, they tried to take an illegal shortcut and fell. Um, David, David was off mission and he had very clear boundaries. In fact, uh, in the Ten Commandments, they're pretty specific ones. One of them being, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Pretty clear boundary. There David is up on the roof seeing his neighbor's wife and he covets her. Not only that, then there's adultery, another commandment. And then there's murder, another commandment. And I think it's because he lost his mission and his direction. And he became sort of comfortable and, and complacent. And it became more about what can I do for myself in this moment? Um, what does this tell us about God's character? Uh, well, I think first is, I mean, it kind of tells us that God uses fallible people. It didn't surprise God that this happened to David. Um, God uses, I mean, all of us are fallible and broken. And God uses broken people in his plans. I think that, I think it's also important for us to realize that the God's work in a person's life, you know, a Christian leader, and we see this over and over again, also does not make them immune to temptation. We need to be praying for our leaders, supporting our leaders, and making sure that our leaders have accountability and some of those boundaries in place. I mean, even Billy Graham at one point in his life um, was sort of blinded by political ambitions and, and aligned himself too closely with Richard Nixon, and um, it was a bit of a mess in his life. And also, I think the boundaries, we need to realize the boundaries that God has put in place for us are there for a reason. Um, David received forgiveness. There was, there, were, there was brokenness in his life, and he repented of it. And there was forgiveness, but there were some major consequences, not just in his life, but in the, the history of Israel. In fact, David's uh, first three heirs, his, his three oldest sons, were all, all killed in, in bloody ways. Um, we see... As well, that, that it was Bathsheba's grandfather. An interesting little irony here. Bathsheba's grandfather um, became a counselor or an advisor to Absalom. Absalom was one of David's sons. Uh, basically tried to usurp power from, from David. David is on the run. Uh, and Bathsheba's grandfather said to Absalom, why don't you take 
uh, David's concubines, take those wives up onto the roof and violate them in, in publicly in, in view of everyone. And, and I think his grandfather, Bathsheba's grandfather was still, um, I think he was still broken up about what David did on the roof with Bathsheba. And so it's almost like a revenge and, and, and um, there's this irony of, uh, of things coming back on David again. And, and even more so, you've got uh, Bathsheba's next son. So one son died. Bathsheba's next son is Solomon, who becomes the, the king after David. And Solomon notoriously struggles with adultery and women, probably as a result of, his, of what he saw with his own father and his mother. And, and as a result of Solomon's uh, indiscretions, his struggles, the kingdom fell apart. And so David lives in the consequence um, of these struggles. And, and there's, there's really, it all comes back, the, you know, sort of the brokenness that comes in the whole rest of the Old Testament all comes back in some ways to this moment on the rooftop where David sees and has an opportunity to do the right thing, but instead falls. And so for us, I think the question is, what is your mission? Are you living for something greater than yourself? Or are you simply on your roofs, on your bicycle, not going anywhere, prone to falling, prone to just going, hey, where can I find some pleasure in the moment? Irregardless of the boundaries or, or what I'm called to do, I think without a mission or living for something greater than ourselves, we are prone to fall into selfish sin. So what are you living for today? What are you living for in your life that's larger than yourself? What are you working towards? I think it's an important question for all of us because we need to be living for something greater than ourselves. Otherwise, we also will fall. Let's pray. God, give us a vision, a vision for your kingdom, a vision for how you're calling us into it. And God, help us not to sit idle prone to temptation, but God, help us to, to live for that, to sacrifice for that, to stay within the boundaries you've set up, trusting you, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense and it seems like it's counterintuitive. Help us to trust you even in those boundaries. God, help us to live for something greater than ourselves, a mission worthy of our lives, and thank you that you offer it with this eternal kingdom. And you're calling us into it. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you again soon.